Hope everyone had a good week, and thank you for listening in to Layman's Medicine. This week, I think we're going to talk about a couple different things. One of them is face masks. Should you wear one? How to make the best one? Second thing I want to talk about is the differences between the tests that have come out recently. We've got a couple new options and different things that we can do to test for the coronavirus, as well as a little bit of an update on how that's looking for us. So probably the biggest thing and the thing that I want to talk about and why it's in the title of the podcast is face masks. The CDC actually came out with a recommendation that non-medical personnel should be wearing cloth face masks whenever they go outside. They also kind of indirectly said that if you have any N95 masks, you should be donating them to a local hospital for the physicians to use. Now I'm going to get into the whole N95 thing in a little bit here, but first off, I wanted to go over the way to make a proper face mask out of cloth. So what's been found is the best material is to use a tight knit material that's still breathable. T-shirt material has come up a couple times. You definitely want to look at the weave of the t-shirt and make sure that it's not too loose. You actually want some air restriction, which means there's filtration happening. So most face masks are working on a couple different aspects. The medical face masks we wear, the surgical masks, start off with having a barrier against splash and then some mild filtration to them. Basically, that means that large particles like blood, cough, things like that don't get, or sneezing, I guess I should say, don't get through the mask and into your face. Biggest thing would be blood. That's why a lot of dentists wear them so they don't get spit on and also doctors doing surgeries. Now, the other end of that is it also protects the patient from them. Make sure that nothing gets through onto the patient that could contaminate them. So they're actually really good at keeping things in. Now, the standard surgical mask that we wear, there's a couple different levels of it. The most basic one is level one or level two, which means they have some splash or moderate splash protection with small amount of filtration going on. If properly fit, which most of them aren't, there is some benefit of filtration, but not a whole lot. The masks that give you the best filtration are going to be, once again, those N95 masks, which I do want to talk about a little bit more later, so I'm not really going to get into that, but that's what the hospital staff are generally wearing. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty of cloth mask, because I didn't call this layman's medicine for nothing. So the CDC recommendation is that you should be wearing a cloth mask whenever in public, whenever around people. What this does is mostly protect people from you. We're starting to see more signs of asymptomatic transfer and also people who carry the disease or virus but don't actually have it, or at least don't have symptoms of it. So what these cloth face masks are meant to do is to prevent you from coughing into the air and creating something that's called aerosolizing the virus. Whenever you cough or sneeze, you create small particles. The virus can hitch on to that and can actually survive for a little while in the air. The cloth face masks aren't necessarily recommended for filtration, Although if you do it right, you can actually get some benefit from that as well. So when you're looking at face masks and looking at material to use for them, you actually want it to create some restriction when breathing. Once again, that creates the filtration effect, which kind of helps break down the particles from the air. Now you will have some protection just from having it there. Most people don't touch their face when they have a face mask on, unless it's to adjust a face mask, which we'll get into later. But for right now, just on making them, there's a lot of patterns online. The thing that you should focus on is double layer of cotton or whatever material you have. Anything's really better than nothing. Number two, filtration. 
Most of the face masks that I'm seeing online are just copies of a surgical face mask out of one layer or two layers of cotton. Now, if you do it right, you can actually add a pocket to that to add extra filtration to it. So you might be asking yourself, if I said that these aren't effective, why am I talking about filtration? Well, there's been some recent studies that have shown that two t-shirt material, two pieces of t-shirt material put together can actually reduce a considerable amount of particles from the air, as well as protect you from splash or protect you from spreading anything. When you add in an extra filter, China actually has a lot of them PM 2.5. Don't try to order any. They won't send them to you. Trust me, I've tried. The second best material is going to be a homemade filter of sorts. There was a company in Brooklyn, I believe, if my memory serves me right, that found that blue shop towels, the kind that you get from the hardware store, can actually be used as a filter medium. Now, if you look at them, they actually look a lot like an air filter. It's very small, tightly sewn together particles, practically. I don't know exactly how these are manufactured, but they're definitely better than the standard paper towel. Which brings me back to that. You can use a paper towel with limited benefit. Hard to say if it's worth recommending, but with the blue shop towels, they did find that two layers of cotton in the blue shop towels filtered out 95% of material down to 0.3 microns. Now this is with a good seal. This is a form-fit mask that is actually made to filter things out, not necessarily just something that's been sewn together. So you do have to take that into consideration. So that brings me to the next part, past materials, which is fit. Just because it's a hand-sewn mask does not mean that it has to fit poorly. In fact, probably the most important thing is that it fits properly. So this brings us back to the kind of detraction to the initial masks that were being made, which are basically just cloth versions of a surgical face mask. The reason surgical face masks work is because they're multi-layer. A lot of them have three or four different layers in them. People are making cloth face masks, but they're only using one layer of cotton. Now this might protect you from coughing or sneezing out something, but it doesn't create the best fit, especially when people don't know how to wear these. So you might be asking yourself, well, what kind of face mask should I wear? Well, in my case and for my office, I kind of turned to some inspiration from the KN95 from China. It's not necessarily an N95, but their regulation, regulatory industry says that it filters out the same amount of particles as an N95 mask. These masks are normally a little bit more form-fit, a little bit more comfortable for people to wear for a long period of time, and they kind of fold in the middle. Now there is a website that I was able to find the pattern for the ones that I'm going to be using, and I'll give you the Google keywords for it. If you search Craft Passion Face Mask, they actually have a pretty good-looking face mask. I have actually worn one that was made, not by myself because I'm horrible at sewing, but it fit really well. It actually fit better than the surgical masks that I've been wearing for the past week or so. So the nice thing about these masks is that there is a filter pocket, and you can actually add an additional filter pocket for a smaller filter, but the main pocket they show, they actually show putting a surgical face mask into. Now this might be a little bit weird, but that does still add some extra filtration to it. It might reduce your ability to breathe more. That's a downside because the most effective mask is the one that you wear and don't take off. I see a lot of people when they're coming into the office or they're going around on the street that they take their mask, mouth, take their mask off of their mouth in order to talk to somebody, which is exactly what you don't want to do. You want your mask to be on all the time. You can talk in it. You can breathe in it. Construction workers do it all the time. Doctors do it all the time. If you can't breathe through your mask at all, 
you made your mask incorrectly. You should still be able to breathe, but it will be a little bit harder. So I've actually, as you can probably tell through this, been wearing one quite a bit. So my breathing pattern has changed because I've adjusted to talking with a face mask on. So I take a breath after a couple talk or a couple words because when I'm wearing a face mask, I'm running out of air at that point and I have to inhale. So it's kind of this mix between a properly fitting filtering mask and one that you're comfortable wearing all day. It's not like a loose bandana that you can just hang over your mouth because that doesn't offer protection on the bottom. So the website that I told you had the best one that I felt for me. I would recommend it to anybody because it's pretty easy, or at least I'm told, has the option to put a filter in there of some sort, whether it be paper towel if that's all you have, or a shop towel, or a surgical face mask, and extend the life of that surgical face mask. The most important thing, though, is to make sure that you're using the proper material. You don't want anything that's stretchy, you want some structure to it, because it'll actually create a buffer in front of your face for you to wear the mask with. So that allows you to breathe a little bit easier. You will notice if you have a properly fit surgical mask or cloth mask, you'll actually see some indent and some puff up when you exhale. What that means is that the air you're breathing is going through the filtering material and not around. A lot of people are wearing N95s. Once again, I'm going to talk about that later. But they're wearing them improperly. They're wearing them sideways. They're not properly fitted completely negates the whole effect of having that mask because you're letting air in around the side, you're letting air in on the top. Basically, all you're doing is protecting yourself from somebody sneezing directly on you. Now, the next important thing with cloth face masks is you have to wash them. You have to clean them. If you wear it for a week straight and don't clean it, you're probably worse off than if you hadn't been wearing one at all. Recommendation from the CDC, from everything that I've seen, is that it needs to be cleaned in hot water and then dried. You can actually kill off a lot of the virus through the dryer as well, but you have to wash it. If you don't wash it, you're not doing yourself any favors whatsoever. And I don't just mean scrubbing it down with hand sanitizer. I mean hot water, soap, scrub, washing machine, dryer, air dry, anyway. But the best thing to do is going to be wash it in a washing machine on the warm setting with washing machine soap and then run it through the dryer on high heat. That's going to help kill anything on there. So the best thing to do is to make more than one if you're making them. Make sure that you have a couple of them so you have the option to clean them. Now the next thing is, is just because you have a cloth face mask does not mean that you're impervious to anything. All it means is that you have some protection, but unfortunately it's making a lot of people feel that they have more protection than they have. You don't see doctors in hospitals walking around with a dish rag wrapped around their mouth when they're dealing with a patient with an infectious disease, and there's a reason for that. It filters some, it protects from you coughing on somebody, but it doesn't protect from everything. And you definitely need to remember that if you're wearing a face mask in public, you still need to social distance, you still need to clean your hands, you still need to avoid touching your mouth, your eyes, your ears, your nose, whatever mucous membrane the virus can get through. But the important thing is, is it is an extra layer of protection. It is not a suit of armor. So let's talk about a personal pet peeve of mine, which is fit of a face mask. It seems like most people don't really understand that you need it to fit snug against your face in order for it to do anything. 
I've seen a lot of people, they don't pinch the nose bridge down, they don't tighten it, it's just hanging loose off their face, they pull it down on their chin, they pull it onto their forehead, they eat inside of the face mask, they scratch their nose through the side of it, they stick a piece of gum in through the side. When you have the face mask on, it is a barrier, and that barrier needs to remain intact and it's sealed. If you're properly wearing a cloth or a surgical mask, you should feel resistance when breathing in, and actually, the mask should move a little bit. Now, in order to fit these properly, you have to make sure that it fits snug on the bottom of your chin, it goes completely around your nose, and that there's some type of metal piece or formable area where you can make it conform to your nose. If you're just wearing it loose over your face, we get back into that thing of it's only direct splash, there's no filtration. So if you go through all this trouble of making a really nice face mask and putting a filter in there, and then you leave it hanging off of your face, it's not going to do you any favors. So the other thing is, is that avoiding touching your face, don't touch the face mask. The outside of it is the area that is going to be the most contaminated. So whenever you take your face mask off, always put it with the outside down. Don't set the inside on a hard surface that you haven't cleaned, because chances are, that'll be how you'll get something. The inside needs to stay clean, the outside can stay dirty. Definitely make sure that you're washing and cleaning it on a frequent basis. So, make sure snug fit on the face. If it's not, tighten the ear straps. You can do this with a surgical face mask as well. You can tie a small loop in the ear loop of the mask in order to make it fit tighter. and then you should feel some resistance when breathing. You might have to take a break between speaking. You might have to breathe a little deeper. It might be a little bit warm. It might be a little bit uncomfortable, but you should still be able to breathe. They actually found that vacuum cleaner bags are also a great filter, but it is impossible to breathe through them, which makes it completely ineffective because nobody's going to wear that for any amount of time. So I think this would be a good time to kind of close in a little bit on the N95 mask that everybody's talking about. Yes, it can help protect people from contracting the virus. Yes, they are very helpful. But no, you shouldn't rush out and grab one, even if you could. There's been a lot of news reports about people hoarding these and trying to resell them for immense prices. If you get on Amazon or eBay, they're crazy expensive. They do not offer any more protection than a surgical face mask unless you wear them correctly. You can't have facial hair. You have to be pressure fit. You have to try certain things move certain things, and sometimes you have to try multiple masks before you find one that actually fits you from a manufacturer. So you shouldn't be rushing out and buying these. These should be reserved for the hospital staff, for the people doing the testing, for people caring for people that have coronavirus. Don't run out. Don't buy them. Don't play into these price gougers games. All they want is your money. They don't care about your safety. They will sell artificial products or things that they've made to look like an N95 mask, claiming that it will protect you, and it'll give you a false sense of security. If it's not fit right, it is no more effective than a surgical mask. If it's fit very incorrectly, it's worse than that. Now, for any healthcare providers out there, there are ways to clean these to maintain the longevity of it. Now, the N95 mask works on a couple different things. There's a static charge, which helps track some particles, and there's also different channels in the fibers of it that particles have to move through. So technically these are single-use disposable, but in the severe shortage that we're running into, people are being forced to reuse them, which brought up how do you reuse them properly. 
Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's steam. There are a couple different ways of cleaning this, but if you clean them with hand sanitizer, if you clean them with some type of um, hospital-grade disinfectant, you actually break down the static charge. Cleaning them with steam, either over a pot of boiling water or with a handheld steamer, maintains that static charge on there that helps protect you for longer. Now, this doesn't mean you can use them indefinitely, but it might save you in the ability to use it more than once. There's a lot of studies that have shown that different ways of cleaning them are not as effective. Microwaving didn't really do much. You can cook them in an oven for a certain amount of time, but then you risk ruining the rubber bands on them. So all in all, the safest way to clean them is not to use a detergent, but to use steam. That'll kill the virus. Not going to kill everything. So you still want to practice proper hygiene with it. But it'll kill the virus and you can reuse the mask for a couple of times based on your comfort level. Now once again, these do not mean that you're not going to contract it if you're wearing one of these. This just means that you're not breathing in any of the airborne particles. That still means that you need to protect your eyes, protect your body, make sure that you're not wearing clothes that you're going to wear later and you're going to infect yourself that way. You still have to be careful. These are just a good way to help prevent things, but you don't need it unless you're in a hospital or acute care setting. So on the same end of misused, misworn, misappropriated PPE is gloves. Gloves protect your skin from whatever you're touching. If you wear the same pair of gloves every day, you might as well not wear gloves at all. In the healthcare field, what we do is each patient, each short interaction gets a different pair of gloves. You give a shot, different gloves. You draw blood, different gloves. You clean up a mess, you put on different gloves. So this is a temporary skin covering that is immediately discarded after the activity. We don't wear them for 10 hours a day. So these people that are going out in the grocery store, they're wearing gloves to pick up everything off the shelf, they're touching the cart, they're playing with their phone, they're putting their finger in their nose, they're adjusting their face mask, they're scratching their nose, they're eating stuff. The gloves aren't protecting you. You would be just as at risk if you didn't have gloves on. So for the love of everything, if you wear gloves, wear them correctly, and do not leave them for other people to pick up. Gloves are not a biodegradable thing in any easy mean, and it's not something that you should be leaving for other people to pick up for you. So is there any benefit to wearing gloves? Well, yeah, to an extent. If you're in a medical setting and you're dealing with a sick patient, putting on those gloves and taking them off directly after can be helpful. You're in an area that you're not so sure about. As far as cleaning something like dog poop, gloves are helpful. But if you're out in the grocery store, you're better off with hand sanitizer. And you use it frequently or just don't touch everything. If you touch everything in the store... You get everything in your car, you use hand sanitizer before you touch your face, before you eat anything, before you drink anything, before you take your face mask off, you're going to be at a much lower risk. The body has this incredible thing called skin, which when intact is an excellent barrier against things getting through it. There's not a whole lot that can get through the skin as far as bacterial stuff goes. Yes, I know mercury can, and yes, I know a lot of chemicals can. But bacterial and viruses, if your skin is intact, most of them will not be able to go through. If your skin isn't intact, if you have a large cut, if you have a burn, then maybe gloves are a good option. But you should treat it like your hands and not as protective equipment. So to completely peel off from the talk about masks, yes, I personally think that people should be wearing them to protect other people, to protect themselves to a certain amount, but educate yourself. 
make sure that you're wearing something that is appropriate and you're not wearing something that's going to give you a false sense of security that's a single sock thickness or a really thin t-shirt thickness. That's not going to help you. So besides all that, the other thing that happened this week is a continuation of the information coming through about different test options. So I don't think I talked about this last week. I don't think I did. There is a cartridge test, and I believe I talked about it a while ago, that was actually purchased out from a small manufacturer by a large medical manufacturer that tells us if someone currently has an infection or has had an infection of coronavirus. Now, this is really helpful for us to determine how people have recovered, how people are recovering, and also if someone has what we consider to be a asymptomatic or a non symptom showing, or as the media keeps calling it, a silent infection. And trust me, there's really nothing silent about it. They still have an active infection. They're just not showing symptoms that go along with the infection. So this test, a simple blood test, finger stick, gives results fairly quickly, is not going to be as accurate as sending out to a laboratory, but can be mass-produced, which is what we're hoping. We'd like to see what demographics got this, what demographics didn't, who had it and didn't know that they had it, who had it and thought that it was something else, because this is how we profile the disease. This is how we make a list of symptoms and precautions for people, is by understanding what happened, how it got to where it's at, and also how people are recovering. Because right now we're getting a lot of conflicting information, saying some people are perfectly fine afterwards, and then some people are having severe health issues. So unless we know what those exact numbers are, we don't really know how to account for that in the disease. So the second test, which I've talked about previously, is a nasal swab that is run in office rather than sending out to a laboratory, which is another test that I've talked about. So this, we basically run it the same way as a flu swab, and it gives us results quickly. It can actually detect earlier than the blood test, but cannot detect a past infection. So that's where these two kind of come together and could be really useful in conjunction. You can check, you can screen with a swab, you can get more information, more data from the blood test in office, and then you can also send out to a reference laboratory for a confirmation test, which basically says that, yes, this test that you did in office is correct. Now, I know I talked about this previously, but the medication that they're trying for this is a off-label use of a medication that was used for SARS as a treatment for the coronavirus. Right now, the information we have is that there may be some benefit from azithromycin or a Z-Pak or also from Plaquenil. I'm not going to say the other word still because I don't want to add into the hysteria. The information we have is very, very limited. They're actually now restricting the prescribing and the purchasing of Plaquenil because so many people are buying it that the people that depend on it on a daily basis for treatment of autoimmune disorders weren't able to get it. I think this is good. I think we need more information before we're suddenly giving all of these people anti-malarials and antibiotics that they may not need. Now, is it good in a setting where you're really sick? Well, yeah. I mean, it's worth trying if you're in the hospital on a ventilator. Anything's worth trying at that point. But if you're experiencing mild symptoms, there's really no reason for you to try one of these medications if it puts you at a higher risk for side effects. Any antibiotics are at a risk. The last thing you want to do is have an allergic reaction, go anaphylactic, and end up in the hospital anyways if all you're having are mild symptoms. So at this point, we don't really have a good treatment. 
we don't really have a good idea of the symptom progression. We don't know how many people are walking around with infections without symptoms. And that's probably the worst thing about this when we compare it to the flu or some other from the past you have the the issues with tuberculosis. We know a lot about those now, so those aren't as scary. Measles, mumps, chickenpox, things like that. We know a lot about the transmission, about the particle, about the treatment, but the coronavirus we don't really have a lot of information on, and a lot of the information we have is just guessing. So at this point, it's best to listen to the advice of medical professionals. Don't trick your doctor into writing you a prescription for anti-malarials because nobody should be traveling to a malaria area right now because there's none in the United States. And if you live outside of the United States, hopefully you're not in an area where that's a problem, but unless you need it, you shouldn't be getting those prescriptions. So let's talk about the state of the virus, the Community spread in most areas is widespread. There's a lot of contact. We don't really know how many cases there are because we don't have enough testing resources to test everybody that is experiencing symptoms. In fact, where I'm at in Arizona, they actually restricted the people we can test, only essential workers in healthcare, first responders, or in infrastructure areas who have symptoms or are in a congregate home like a nursing home or in the hospital directly being treated. Now what this does is, is it conserves our test kits, but it also doesn't give us an idea of who has it. Somebody said that it's kind of like Schrodinger's virus. You don't know if you had it, but you have to treat it like you have it. And then afterwards, you don't know if you're going to get it because you don't know if you already had it. And I completely understand that. We need more testing. We need more information. We need to understand how many people are actually affected. We need to see what the after effects are, but we weren't ready for this. The United States was dragging their feet and the response from everybody was really dragging because we thought this wasn't going to be an issue. Everybody thought, oh, it's going to be just another small flu. Some people might get sick. There's probably going to be some people that die, but it won't be that bad. And unfortunately, the media has made a big job of sensationalizing this, so whenever somebody feels like they need to downplay it in order to curb hysteria, they're also indirectly making people too comfortable. This is serious. This is an issue. This is something that we need to take seriously, that we need to test for, that we need to research, because it may come back. It's hard to say if this is going to be a one-time thing, or if this is going to be another circulating thing like the flu which in that case, we really need to understand more of this so that next year we can be better prepared. So what do the projections look like for this? Well, it's hard to say. Some areas, they're saying they may have already had peak activity. Italy has had a huge hit from this. And it's hard to say how much of their socioeconomic structure is actually at fault for their high death rate or how much the numbers were misinterpreted from China. Now, the hard thing about this is, is that there is going to be some inconsistency with the information from the government to us, because if someone goes into what we call adult respiratory distress syndrome right now, which basically means that they're not producing or they're not pulling in enough oxygen for them to survive on their own, it's most likely going to be labeled as a death from coronavirus, regardless of the testing results, because that's what's circulating. Now, the horrible thing about this is, is we still have influenza A circulating. In fact, we had a couple cases last week in my office. So 
it makes it difficult to say if these are just continuation of influenza A, which is the worst type of the flu, or if these are actually from coronavirus. So our information right now may end up being more skewed than we realize. So I want everybody to take anything that you read statistically with a grain of salt, understand that the information we have is preliminary, the predictions we have are just predictions, and we don't really know, but we want to make sure that everybody stays safe. So even after this is all done and you're given the all clear, there's no new cases in your county, you really should still practice general precautions. Are we going to see a shift towards everybody wearing face masks? Well, some people will. I can pretty much guarantee that we're going to see it as more of a common thing, at least in the United States, like it is overseas, where people are wearing face masks for personal protection and also style. But I think that the precaution of hand washing, covering your cough, not sneezing it in front of you, really should continue. That's common sense stuff that we should have been doing all along, and it's surprising that we made it this far without that being the standard. So I know that one of the big effects of this is the economic downfall. A lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have been furloughed. A lot of people have had their hours cut. And I'm hoping that for most people, that's a temporary thing. Like I said in the previous podcast, this is really a time where we need to band together and help each other out more than anything. We're starting to see a lot of charitable donations from larger corporations. We're starting to see some government assistance for people who have been affected. Lots of mortgage companies are actually not requiring payments for people that have had the coronavirus or have been impacted by it. So make use of these resources. There's a lot of good online resources for help for people that need it right now. And more than that, there's a lot of good online resources for people who are under a lot of stress. I talked about it last week. Everybody's going through this process of grief from this pandemic state where everything has changed so quickly for them. And that's a really hard thing to do. I want to remind you to check up on your friends with depression, to check up on people that may not be as strong and as capable, especially if they've been having a hard time with work. I want you to check up on the people that you don't think you have to worry about, because sometimes those are the people that you are. We are seeing a drastic increase in suicide rates because of how dark and dreary this is. When someone already has depression and they don't have a reason to live, when you take away the normalcy of their life and the things that they're used to, it can put somebody into a really dark state. We're seeing a lot of really funny stuff coming out of these quarantine jokes, but the other end of that is that there's people that are losing bits of themselves by not having contact. So reach out. Phone calls, texts, emails, Zoom, so you can have somebody listen to your conversation. There's a lot of good resources out there, and I think it's a good time for people to start making use of them. Just because you have to take unemployment does not mean that you're a bad person. It just means that you're in a bad situation. So as per usual, I do want to close this out with a too long didn't listen segment. So what did we learn this week? Not really a whole lot. There's not a lot of new information coming out because of the delays in research. We do have some promising information as far as vaccines, as far as testing, but most of those are still a bit out. The vaccines are too late to help with the current curve if it continues on the trajectory that it's on for some places. The testing is really important because we want to see not only who had it, how many people had it, and how many people had symptoms or didn't because asymptomatic or symptom-free people are showing up. They're coming back positive even though they don't have any right to be positive. They're not sick. They're not in the hospital. 
they're perfectly fine, but they could still be spreading that virus if they're not following general precautions. The other thing from this week is face masks. The most effective thing is going to be two layers of tightly knit cotton t-shirt material or pillowcases with an extra filter in between, whether that be a surgical face mask, whether that be shop towels, a tightly knitted cloth, another layer of felt, anything to help break down any air coming through to filter it through random pathways can help with the face mask material. It's going to be hard to breathe through to an extent, but you don't want it to be too hard. You want it to be comfortable and something that you can wear all day. The recommendation from the Center for Disease Control, at least in the United States, is that everybody should be wearing one when they're outside of their house around people. We definitely want to continue with social distancing because these do not make you invincible. They're just an extra layer of protection. It's kind of like having a rubber raft in a pool full of crocodiles. Will it save you if one attacks? Probably not, but it might help you not get attacked. But it can also be a false sense of security because you aren't paying attention as if you were just swimming across. The other thing from this week is the differences in testing. We have the nasal swab, which can give us an active infection earlier than the blood test that gives us the information as to if somebody had it or currently has it. Definitely keep up with community resources. Definitely help out people where you can. Hopefully I'll have some different information for you guys next week, but the biggest thing for this week was the information on the face masks. Again, the website that I pulled the pattern from that I feel is appropriate was face. Uh, if you search on Google, Craft Passion Face Mask, it's a very form-fitting, very comfortable, but also very breathable and filterable face mask that has the ability to put an extra filter in to give you some extra protection. Don't hoard medical masks. Those N95 masks that they keep busting people with are needed in the hospitals to keep the doctors safe. Doctor burnout is a huge thing right now in the hospitals, as well as overcrowding of the hospitals. And when these doctors and nurses are working like they are, their immune systems are not properly functioning. A lot of them are relying on things like smoking and drinking to deal with the stress, which reduces their immune system even more. So you don't want them getting sick, because if a doctor gets sick, then another doctor has to care for him. Cycle continues. So don't hoard N95s. Make use of what you have. Keep yourself safe. Keep your distance. Don't use gloves like they are going to protect you from everything. They're just an extra layer of skin that you can easily peel off if you need to. I hope everybody has a good week. I'm hoping that next week we'll have some good news for some of the areas. New York may be on the down path, but it's too early to say. I'm hoping that they catch a break soon because it's been pretty rough on them. So hopefully everybody gets some sleep, stay sane, stay healthy, and hopefully I'll have some better updates for you next week.